All right, so first, good evening, everyone, and thank you all for coming back for our night of vision. We do maybe one, possibly two of these nights over the course of a year, um, and it allows us to be able to see ways that we can better engage the vision of Sherwood. And as a church, we exist to see people awakened by the gospel to a life of knowing Christ and making him known. So our first vision night was actually September of 2022, and we focused on introducing some new formats for Sunday nights at Sherwood, and in order to help people know Christ and make him known, we went through and we had different nights because we wanted people to be able to grow in their understanding of the word, grow in their understanding of biblical worldview, to grow in relationships, in worship, in prayer, and even in the idea of rest. So we have different nights that were structured around each of those different categories to help facilitate growth on each level. So our second night of vision was in October of 2023, and we focused on God's kingdom activity around the world. If you were with us on that particular night, you know that we had a panel discussion with people up on the stage with me. There was also some pre-recorded videos of different ministry leaders who serve locally as well as regionally and some internationally. And tonight is our third night of vision, and we are focused on multiplication in the church as well as of the church. And I've got three main goals that I'm trying to accomplish tonight. And all three are pretty simple, but all three need to be clearly stated. So we got three words. These are your first three fill in the blanks on your handy dandy outline sheet tonight. And that is to emphasize, that's first one, to emphasize the necessity of kingdom living in the context of multiplication the importance of kingdom living. Everything we're gonna be talking about tonight is going to require a kingdom mindset. If we don't have a kingdom mindset coming in, you will resist every part of what I'm trying to share this evening. As my friend Vance Pittman so wonderfully put it, the kingdom is God's sovereign activity in the world resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. So multiplication in the church and of the church will lead us to go outside the four walls of the church. And when we start talking about going outside the walls and focusing on what God is doing in other cities and in other states, other nations, that requires a kingdom mindset because the efforts that we're talking about are going to be those efforts that we may never see the people, the churches, or the impact on this side of eternity. A statement I've shared many times already, it's not about our church, it's about his kingdom. So the second part is to clarify. Uh, I want to clarify some statements I have made about church planting and specifically some comments that I've made about encouraging people to go with church plants if they are led of the Spirit of God to do so. Um, I know that is unsettling and a little strange to hear your pastor say, we want to encourage you to go to another church. And believe me, it's harder for me to say than probably what it is for you to hear. But the reason I'm sharing that is in my flesh, I want everybody to stay right here. Let's all get together, we're all friends, we're all family, let's stay right here, serve right here, give right here, just enjoy being together, I like here. But if we're going to be serious about the Great Commission, 
It says, go. And for some people, that means go to your neighbor, go to your coworkers, go to your family members, go on a short-term mission trip. You're, you're gonna stay in the area, but you're still going out from here. And for other people, God may be leading them to go to another city and to invest in another church plant and to reestablish their life so that the gospel is lived out in a completely different context. And if that is the case, I need you all to hear me say it from the pulpit as clear as I can possibly make it. If God calls you to go to another city to serve on mission with him, you not only have our support, you have our blessing, you have our prayers. We want to encourage you to follow the leading of the Spirit of God. I'm not saying we're trying to run you out the building. And I'm also not saying that everybody who hears about a church plant is called to go to that church plant. But if the Spirit of God is leading you to go, we want to encourage you to walk in obedience there. And then the third part that I want to cover tonight is to cultivate. I want us to cultivate an environment that fosters multiplication. I'm going to lay out a need to multiply disciples and how that directly leads to the multiplication of churches. And then we're going to talk through certain environmental factors that will either help or they will hinder the multiplication process. So we got a lot that we're going to walk through tonight. You're going to be hearing about kingdom, about multiplication, about disciple making, about church planting. You're going to hear about a lot tonight. So Lord willing, it'll all be clear and concise and exactly what the Spirit of God would have for you to hear. So let's pray and let's go forward from there. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask this evening that your Spirit would guide us into all truth. And Lord, may we have a heart and a burden and a passion to be used of you to reach other cities and to reach other countries and other areas for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of years ago on Sunday night, I walked through a basic training of this is the gospel. And in that training, I laid out the following case for multiplication. Now, I understand that's been a while. Many of you were not here on that particular night. And even if you were here on that night, it's always good to review some key pieces. So I'm going to cover a little bit of that again tonight. Now, here's the thing I can tell you about talking to Christians, uh, specifically Christians that are concerned about the Great Commission. They will agree 100% of the importance of evangelism, of sharing the gospel and making disciples. They'll say all of that is important, and I would agree. In fact, it's kind of hard to argue those pieces since it's right at the core of the great commission of Jesus over in Matthew 28. But it's also not uncommon for people to feel that a greater focus on discipleship will slow down efforts in evangelism. And the reason people think that is because discipleship seems focused on getting everybody here and let's train them here. And evangelism is focused on let's train them to go. So they feel like if we take away the emphasis of evangelism and focus on discipleship, then we're going to miss the opportunity to see people come to faith in Christ. Now, it is important to be very clear that when discipleship is done well, it speeds both the process as well as the effectiveness of evangelism. So let me explain what I mean by that. Let's say you are a really, really effective 
witness for Christ. You're an effective evangelist. Like when you share your faith with people, people are getting saved constantly. And let's say you're so good at this and God is using you in such a great way that you lead one person to Christ every single day, every single year for three, for 33 years. If you were to do that inside of 33 years, you would have led 12,045 people to faith in Christ. And let's be honest, that would be awesome. 12,000 new followers of Christ is incredible. But I want us to come at that from a different angle. Let's say you lead one person to faith in Christ this next year, but you spend an entire year discipling that person on what it looks like to know Jesus, to follow him, and to also share Christ with others. And at the end of the first year, there's two of you, but now there's two people who are focused on doing the same thing for somebody else the next year. That's what I'm talking about with multiplication. So now the two people are now sharing their faith, they lead two more people to faith in Christ, and they spend an entire next year discipling them. At the end of year number two, there's four disciples. Then those four disciples do the same thing. They multiply the efforts and all four are now living on mission. They share their faith. They spend the next year discipling others. End of year number three, there's now eight different disciples. If you were to do that for 33 years in a row, at the end of 33 years, you would have reached 8.5 billion people. That's the power of multiplication. Evangelism is wonderful, it's necessary, it's biblical. Addition can be great, but if we're gonna reach the world for Christ, multiplication has to be a part of the process. So now, let's add another factor into this. Instead of reaching one person each year, what would happen if each person reached three people that year? And they spent that entire year discipling three people. That's what I'm describing. If you look in your notes, there is a little column here and you have on one side, you have the year, then you have evangelist, then you have discipler, and then the next column is what's called D4 groups. So a D4 group would consist of one discipler and three people who need to be discipled. If that's the format, if each person were to reach three people during a year, when the evangelist has reached 4,700 people, and the discipler has reached 8,200 people, those who are leading D4 groups would have reached 1.6 million people. That's multiplication. Now, if you look in your notes, you'll notice that if you were to just follow this format for like the first 11 years, it seems as though just evangelistic efforts by addition far outweigh anything that's happening by discipleship. But then it's around year number 12 that they even out to almost the exact same number. But then starting on year number 13, you'll see that those who are making disciples, it doubles the number of those who were focused on evangelism in addition alone. I share all of that information with you because here's the lesson behind it. Discipling people is how you reach the world for Christ. This is in your notes. Discipling groups of people is how you do it faster. And both require multiplication, both. Discipling people is how you reach the world for Christ. 
Discipling groups of people is how you do it faster. And multiplication is essential for both. So Jesus commissioned us to make disciples of the nations. And for us to do that effectively, we have to be about multiplication. The Great Commission, it's bigger than what one person, what five people, or what 5,000 people could be able to handle alone. It is a commission that is given to the church. Everyone is to be involved in the Great Commission. Now, I mentioned a little while ago that we gave a training, a basic training for this is the gospel. This is the gospel is simply a discipleship resource that can help people lead others to faith in Christ and then multiply disciples over the course of their life. Now, it is not the only resource that can do that. It's one of many that are out there, but it is an effective one, and it's one that is readily available to people right here at Sherwood and those who are watching online. So for the person who says, I don't even know where to start, this is the gospel gives a framework for how do you start. For the person who says, I don't know how to share the gospel with anyone, this is the gospel, will very clearly tell you this is how you share the gospel. For the person who says, I don't know how to disciple a brand new believer, well, that resource helps you know this is how you disciple a brand new believer. For the person who says, if somebody would just write it out, if they would share the key truths that people are supposed to know, the building blocks for brand new disciples, starting points for conversations, if all of that were laid out for me, then I would be engaged in discipleship. Well, the Lord has heard your cry, and all of that is already available for you right now. See, the issue that we have, this next statement is going to feel about as comfortable as a sand spur, but it is intentionally designed that way. Today's church has more resources for discipleship than at any other point in church history, without a doubt. It is not the fact we do not have the resources to make disciples. It's that we don't care enough about the mission to use what we already have. I intend for that to sting. So here's the reason I would say that is important. I think it's a fair assessment. If we knew that 15 minutes of study every day for 30 days, for 60 days, would be able to save our child from a terminal illness, we would jump at the opportunity and we would thank God for how easy it was to save our child. And yet at the same time, when asked to study 15 minutes a day for 30 days or 60 days, in order to know the gospel so that we can effectively share a message that will save men, women, boys, and girls from an eternity separated from Christ, sometimes we think that's just too much to ask. God help us. I get a little upset sometimes when I hear Christians hypothetically throw these types of questions out in a group. They'll say things like, what happens to people who die and they've never had a chance to hear the gospel? I think the bigger question is what happens to Christians who have the gospel but are unwilling to share it with people before they die? 
We've been given a gift. We have an opportunity to share a message that can rescue the perishing and care for the dying. And it's available, it's there, if we're willing to take the time in order to learn it and to share it with others. So, from there, we have to be serious about making disciples. We have to be serious about the call to go to the nations. We have to be serious about this idea of multiplication. So now I want us to take that idea and I want us to bridge it into this idea of church planting for just a few moments. So for those of you who are not familiar with the idea of church planting, that's a brand new idea to you, maybe you've heard about it in passing, you really don't know what it is, you're about to get a 25 minute crash course on church planting. And uh, by the way, I get excited about church planting because this is what God has called me to for over 22 years of my life. This is something that I feel like he put into my DNA. He wired into me as a part of that vocational ministry calling that he gave me. So for those of you who know nothing about church planting, get ready to take some notes. For those of you who know a little something about it, Lord willing, this will only help. So the ultimate goal of church planting is not planting churches. This is in your notes. The ultimate goal of church planting is not planting churches. The ultimate goal of church planting is to see God's kingdom expanded among the nations. Why is it so important that we point that out from the very beginning? If we make the goal anything beyond kingdom expansion, we're already off to the wrong start. It is about the expansion of God's kingdom. In the end, it is the kingdom of God that remains. A church has a life cycle. There's a birth, there's a life, and eventually there's going to be a death. Every church the apostle Paul planted no longer exists right now. But guess what still moves forward? The kingdom of God. If you'll remember, Jesus in his teachings mentioned the church three times through the Gospels. He mentions the kingdom 54 times through the Gospels. When you get over into the book of Revelation, it is the kingdom that remains. The scriptures say, when the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God, it's kingdom on and on and on. The ultimate goal of church planting is not to plant a church. The ultimate goal of church planting is to see God's kingdom expanded among the nations. So here is a statement, and we're going to break down each part of this statement this evening. Here's a statement that I want you to get. For the expansion of God's kingdom, churches must intentionally multiply disciples and multiply churches in an effort to reach all people in all places. Let me say that again. For the expansion of God's kingdom, churches must intentionally multiply disciples and multiply churches in an effort to reach all people in all places. So the ultimate goal, remember, is coming back to the expansion of God's kingdom. That's why church planting is absolutely necessary. For the kingdom of God to expand, it requires us to have a kingdom mentality from the very beginning, that we're going to 
be fervent in our focus on disciple making. We're going to be fervent in our focus on multiplying disciples who will go forward and multiply other churches. Here's a piece that you just need to know from a missiological perspective. Churches plant churches. Denominations do not plant churches. Mission agencies do not plant churches. Churches plant churches. That is the missiological model that you find within the New Testament. It is churches who are multiplying, training, developing disciples, sending them out. And as they send out disciples, churches are birthed in the process. Now, the reason it's important we take some time to go through this definition is because each part of that definition is critical in our understanding of what it looks like to multiply disciples and to multiply churches. So one part of that statement is the word intentionally. Why is that important? It's important because there's a lot of churches that begin unintentionally. Here's what happens. One group down at First Baptist gets mad with the other group down at First Baptist, and all of a sudden Second Baptist appears two miles down the road. And everybody seems to be happy with that until one group at Second Baptist brings up a really ugly color for the carpet and they upset another group at Second Baptist and all of a sudden Third Baptist now appears right across the street. And the reason I say that is because that's not church planting, that's church splitting. There's a difference. And here's the other reason that's important. When somebody leaves a church wounded to start another church, they design the systems to protect them from further woundedness, not to engage the mission of God. Do you know how I know that? Because if you engage the kingdom of God, you're gonna get wounded. It's messy. You don't reach people who are far away from God, disciple them without there being problems along the way. You don't go after people that nobody else is wanting to go after and deal with problems nobody else wants to face and try to serve people that nobody else wants to serve and walk away from that without some scars on. Church planting, multiplication is not easy. It's not safe, but it's biblical. It's what we're called to do. So if we're going to send out churches, they need to be sent out intentionally. Here's the next one. These churches, they're not only intentionally multiplying disciples, but it is in an effort to reach all people. When disciples are being multiplied and sent with a missional mindset, each new church has from day one the DNA of missions, multiplication, the gospel, and discipleship from the very beginning. They've got that in their DNA from day one. They have everything that is needed to reproduce themselves again. Now, I know it's going to sound strange. We're talking about churches. Now the pastor's talking about reproduction and how in the world is this happening? Okay, I want you to think about this. Statistically speaking, between one to 4% of all established churches will ever reproduce themselves by starting another church. Between one to 4%. Now I want you to think about that in terms of demographics. What would happen if only one to 4% of all married couples ever decided to have kids? What would happen to the nation demographically? there'd be a crisis. 
There would not be enough people for the next generation to meet the needs of the current generation. There is something important about the fact that as God has brought us together in families, a part of that family unit is having children reproducing themselves and families growing and they go into another generation. The same is true when it comes to church planting. There is the DNA from day one when we've been making disciples with a missional mindset. The DNA is implanted from day one that it's not supposed to end here. They're supposed to go on and to multiply and to duplicate and to reproduce and seeing another church that is now birthed. Why is that important for established churches? Because if the DNA is not put in from day one, it's really hard to work in later. People sometimes get upset because churches seem territorial. They don't seem like they wanna play well with other churches. You know one of the reasons why they don't like to play well with other churches? Because instead of being started with the DNA of kingdom and multiplying disciples. They were started with the idea of, I'm gonna build my kingdom and anybody else around who seems to be doing well, that's now a threat to what we're doing right here. That's not kingdom. It interferes with the mission that God's called us to. With around 5,000 churches every year closing their doors, with only 10% of established churches growing and reaching their community through conversion, with population in our country rising through birth as well as people entering into our country. We have to be focused on multiplying disciples who in turn are going to multiply churches. So that leads us, brings us to the last part of that statement. Churches must intentionally multiply disciples and multiply churches in an effort to reach all people in all places. So several weeks ago, I ended up sharing in our Meet the Need presentation that 83% of the U.S. population lives in large metropolitan, mainly unchurched cities around our country. 83% of the U.S. population is in these larger cities. So when you look out at how do we reach our nation, we have to reach our nation by reaching people where they are. That means the gospel has to get to where they are in these cities. And as a result of that, there needs to be healthy churches that are started in these different cities. So I pulled from the archives a piece that I wanted you all to see tonight. If you're a part of House of Prayer, you will know that many times we will have pictures of church planting families and where they're planting and where they're located. And uh, it's just a part of what we see every single week with House of Prayer. So I've got a piece from back in 2005 that I want to bring up. You might recognize who these people are. That is us. Okay, now you can see, um, I had about as much hair in 2005 as I do right now. Our girls were much younger at this point. Shana was 11 months old, almost a year old. We had like one week before she turned a year old when we arrived in Las Vegas. Kaylee was born in Las Vegas. I cannot tell you how many conversations we had with family members who were saying, are you sure God's calling you to bring your children up in Sin City. 
I cannot tell you how many conversations we had with people who were saying, of all places to go, why in the world would you ever go to Las Vegas? And we would tell people over and over again, we are there for one reason. God clearly called us to come to the city and to serve. So on the back of this card, I have some statistics. I wanna read a couple of these. These are from back in 2005. 2005, the city of Las Vegas had 1.8 million people, 97% unchurched, less than 1% of the city was considered Christian. 40% of Las Vegans somehow worked within the gaming industry. Las Vegas had been the fastest growing city in the U.S. since 1991. An average of 10,000 people every month moved into that city. Every single month, they were building two new elementary schools, one new middle school, and one new high school a month to keep up with the growth rate of people coming into the city. 10,000 people every single month coming in. Nevada is number one in the nation in gambling addiction, number one in the nation in suicide, number one in the nation in high school dropouts. 50% of high school students drop out before they graduate from high school. Number one in tax evasion, number one in divorce, and number one in so many other areas that you don't want to be number one in. Guess what? Those numbers are not abnormal for our large metropolitan cities. When you get into these larger cities, many times it's 4% are churched, 5% are churched. There's major unchurched populations that are in these cities and they need the gospel brought to them. They need healthy churches in the places that they live. For the expansion of God's kingdom, Churches must intentionally multiply disciples and multiply churches in an effort to reach all people in all places. So how do we go about starting churches, not only in this state, but also in other states? How do we, how do we go about a systematic way of starting churches around us? Well, the issue really comes back to what is the church planting context? And what I'm about to share, I hope you don't hear it from the lens of pessimism, you hear it more with a heart of concern. So if we send a missionary to go serve in a country overseas, we often follow a very biblical New Testament model for doing that. We will encourage that missionary to go get settled into that particular community. And when you get into the city, we encourage them, take the time, get to know the people, get to know the language, get to know any gospel barriers, get to know the religious landscape, get to know what is the mindset of the people that are living in this city. We encourage them as you get to know those types of things to build natural relationships where people live, where they work, and where they play. What that means is go and befriend your neighbor, get to know your neighbor. 
Get to know your coworkers. If you go into the dog park, go to the dog park at the same time every day to get to know other people who have dogs in that area. If you have children that are in school, get on the PTA, get to know the parents. If you like coffee, go to the same coffee shop every day at the same time to get to know who are the people coming into this coffee shop. Do what you can to intentionally build relationships where you live, where you work, and where you play. And as relationships are built, Pray that God gives you an opportunity to share the gospel. When you share the gospel through natural relationships, people come to faith in Christ. When that person comes to faith in Christ, your job as a missionary is to disciple that person to know Jesus, to know the word of God, and to help them understand what's necessary to share their faith with others and to make more disciples. And what happens is now that one person is discipling someone and that person that, there's, that they are discipling, they're growing in their walk with God. They're being trained to live on mission with God. And what happens is maybe a couple of other people come to know Christ and they come into this group and maybe there's six people or eight people or 10 people or 15 people. And here's what I can tell you about Christians, especially young Christians who are growing in their walk with God. When they're excited about what the Lord's doing in their life, they want everybody to see what the Lord's doing in their life. So they tell their friends, hey, you gotta come over. Like we got this group and we're studying the book of Galatians. I didn't even know there was a book of Galatians, but man, there's some good stuff and you need to come over and to be a part of this. And they invite sometimes lost friends to come, sometimes people who are young believers. And here's what happens. All of a sudden, 15 people becomes 25 people, that becomes 45 people. And when disciples are made, churches are birthed. When churches are birthed, they can now engage the community in ways that are meaningful. When they're engaged in the community in ways that are meaningful, now that church can go from there and they can reach out to the crowds. So that's the New Testament model. That's what we do when we're sending missionaries to other countries. But when it comes to church planting in the US, for some reason, we do the exact opposite. We do the opposite. In fact, the reason I believe we do the opposite is because in the US, we have what is largely an attractional church planting model. That idea is you want to attract the largest number of people into the group. So through marketing efforts, we try to reach the crowd. That's the first part of that triangle by doing things in the community. Uh, we, we do things like put on a block party or we serve motorist breakfast or, or we hand out invite cards or we do some type of an event in the community. And then from that, we pray that they would come and we could form a church. And once they come in and we launch a church, then hopefully somewhere down the road, if there's time, we can disciple a handful of people in that group that want to be discipled. That is the American church planting model. It's like starting at the big end of the funnel and working your way to the small end of the funnel. The New Testament model is exactly the opposite of that. We are called to disciple the core, disciple that group of people, those that are around us. That core eventually forms into a church. 
That church now has the gifts and the resources and the relationships to better engage the community. And when they better engage the community over time, they have an opportunity to reach out to the crowds. But all along the way, disciples are being made. I I need you to hear my heart in this as well as my concern in this. A lot of church planting efforts in the United States are focused on starting services through marketing campaigns instead of starting churches through the multiplication of disciples. When all of our effort and all of our marketing and all of our focus and all of our money is about trying to get people into a service for one hour, two hours on a weekend, it's telling of what our primary thoughts are. When all of our efforts are not focused as much on discipleship as they are on entertainment, it's telling. When discipleship seems like a really, really, really good idea, if you get a chance, it's telling. Could it be that churches by and large stink at discipleship? because they were never started in discipleship. Churches have to be focused on multiplying disciples. And as they do, it will lead to multiplying churches. Now let me pause there for just a moment. Just as much as discipleship is not a ministry of the church. It's the mission of the church. Church planting is not an additional ministry we add into the church. It is simply the expansion of making disciples in the church. It should be a natural part of what we're doing. So why is church planting so important? Hopefully by this point, you already know a couple of reasons why it's extremely important, but I'm gonna give you some others and I'm also going to address some of the major concerns people have when you talk about church planting. So it is not uncommon for somebody to say something like this. We already have churches everywhere. Why do we need to start any others? Or somebody will say, I remember when churches were full And right now, so many churches are almost empty. So if you take people out of almost empty churches to go start other churches, then all churches are going to be hurt in the process. Or somebody else might say, instead of planting new churches, why don't we strengthen hurting churches? We need better churches. We don't need more churches. Now, all of that might sound reasonable, but they're all built on faulty assumptions. So to understand why those assumptions are faulty, we're actually going to go back a step and ask why is church planting so important? I'm gonna give you several reasons, biblical reasons, why the church has to be involved in church planting. Uh, The first of those is church planting is needed for true engagement in the Great Commission. It's needed. Uh, The Great Commission anticipates that new disciples will gather in new biblical communities. Uh, The Great Commission found over in Matthew 28 is more than go and share your faith. 
The call is make disciples, what's the next phrase? Baptizing them. That word baptism in the book of Acts is not only identification with Christ, it's also incorporation into a worshiping community of believers to provide accountability and boundaries. Acts chapter two, verses 41 through 47. So as we go into the world and share the gospel, we can't bring them all back here to baptize them. We're gonna have to have them baptized where they live as new communities of believers are being developed. Here's the second reason. Church planting is central to the gospel impacting nations. Uh, The mission strategy of the apostle Paul was to reach countries through its major cities. So he had a twofold strategy, it was very simple. Go to the large cities in that region and plant churches in those cities. That's basically what you see him doing all throughout the New Testament. So there's two overarching assumptions that he has. The first is the best way to permanently influence a country is through its major cities. And the second assumption is the best way to permanently change the city is by planting churches in that city. Do you see how those two pieces align together? How do you reach the country? Through the major cities. How do you change the cities? Through planting gospel-centered churches in that city. Both of those pieces are needed. So research shows that new churches are better able to reach new generations, new residents, as well as new people groups. Now there's a lot that's involved in that. I'm not gonna get into all of those pieces tonight, but if you come talk to me afterwards, I'll give you some reasons as to why those stats are in. Here's the third reason. Church planting is the best way to reach the unchurched. Now you might say, Paul, that's a pretty big statement. You're just saying that because you're all jacked up and excited about church planting, but is there really good research on that? That is backed by dozens and dozens of denominational studies. Listen to these numbers. You heard part of this back in our house of prayer when Pastor John was sharing about some of our church plants and people coming to faith in Christ. The average new church gains most of its new members between 60 to 80% from people who are not attending worship services anywhere. 60 to 80% of their new members are coming from people that aren't going to church. They're coming from people that are lost. They're coming from first generation believers. They came to faith in Christ and they step into this church for the first time. That's where they're gaining most of those. Listen to this. Churches 10 years to 15 years or older gain 80 to 90% of their new members by transfers from other congregations. Did you see what just happened? The more established a church becomes, the more we're swapping sheep back and forth with somebody else's church down the road. It's the new congregations that are out there that are reaching people for Christ. In fact, new congregations will see between six to eight times more new converts than established churches of the exact same size. That's the reason why missiologists, people like C. Peter Wagner have often said, and I quote, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven, end of quote. 
if we want to be about reaching the nations, if we want to be about kingdom expansion, if we got a heart for seeing our country transformed and for people coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, church planting is not optional. It has to be a part of what we're doing. But, but, the inevitable question now comes back to, but what about the struggling churches that are already there? Shouldn't we spend our focus and our effort helping struggling churches instead of starting new churches? Well, first, I think it is a false assumption that you cannot do both. There's nothing that says we cannot come alongside of struggling, unhealthy churches and love them and encourage them and help strengthen them and do everything we can to see leaders developed and for them to reach another generation for Christ. In fact, there's an entire section of church life called church revitalization in which it's an emphasis on going into dying, dead congregations and how do you love them back to health. So that is a part of things, but at the same time, as strange as this might sound, you're actually helping existing churches when you start new churches. Now let me give you a couple of the reasons for this. First, new churches bring new ideas into the community. You need new ideas along the way. There is a, a statement in church life, and that is the death gargle of any church is we've never done it that way before. When you start hearing that, the church is about to die. We need new ideas. It's not that the gospel needs to change. It's, it's not that it's not as powerful. The issue is every new generation needs the gospel framed for that generation. How do you reach the next group? You need somebody of that generation saying, these are the needs, these are the problems, the church is missing it. And church plants specialize in helping reach that next generation. We need those ideas coming into the church. Second, new churches can help identify new leaders, and many of those go on to serve in established churches. <laughs> There's a reason that new churches help find new leaders. Here's the reason. Most of your established churches have systems in place that means you have to have years of tenure within that church to be vetted by that church before you're entrusted with certain leadership positions within the church. When you're a church plant, you're just glad to see a warm body show up out there. You're like, do you know Jesus? Yes. Can you share the gospel? Yes. Do you want to teach a community group this next week? Like, you are desperate for new leaders. So new churches many times are going to identify new leaders coming in. They're going to train them. Now, granted, sometimes there's a train wreck that comes with that. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes all I can say is the only thing worse than not having someone in a position is having the wrong person in that position. There's a reason why over time churches say, you know what, that didn't go well last time, so we're going to put a system in place. But here's the thing, a new church plant is going to go out into reach and to bring in new leaders. And many of those leaders go on into established churches. Here's another reason why church plants help churches everywhere. Uh, new churches 
challenge established churches with helpful self-examination. There is nothing like being in a city and churches saying, you just can't reach people in the city anymore. People don't hear, hear they, don't, they don't want the gospel, they don't want anything to do with God. This is a desolate area. And all of a sudden, this little church plant shows up in a shopping mall down at the end of the road. And they see 20 people come to faith in Christ. And six months later, there's 75 people who came to faith in Christ. And all along the way, the established churches are saying, you can't reach people in this city. And that new church plant, they don't know that you can't reach people. They're just out sharing the gospel with people. And they're going out and they share the gospel and people get saved. And all of a sudden, it causes established churches to say, you know what? It's not that people are that turned off to the gospel. Maybe we've just gotten so conditioned to trying to get them to come here, we've been unwilling to go and to reach them out there. Let me, let me give you a story of this where God brought me under conviction. When we first went into our first meeting location in Las Vegas, it was into a casino. And first day, we're pulling our equipment into this casino. There was a group of homeless people who happened to be right outside the door and they looked and they said, what are you guys doing? We said, we're going in for a church service. They're like, that's cool, can we come? We're like, sure. They're like, can we help? <laughs> you better believe it. <laughs> so they grabbed the other side of our carts. We're rolling our carts in through a casino in order to have a worship service over in the movie theater. And week after week after week, these homeless people who were living in the tunnels underneath the casino, there's thousands of miles of tunnels right underneath all of Las Vegas and they are living in tunnels and they would come out of the tunnels and they would walk in and they didn't always smell great, they didn't always look great. Sometimes they came in high, but they came in because they wanted to go to church and by the way, we had no problem bribing people with donuts and coffee. We were like, if you're gonna show up, I got some coffee and got some donuts for you. And they would haul the stuff in. And what happened is we would see that there were many people who would come and then over time we switched and we had to go to another casino to meet and there were some who said can we go would you all come and pick us up and we said yes so I would go down and I would pick up, I would load as many homeless people in my truck as I could possibly load in. And we would go from there and we'd go down to the church and we'd set everything up and then I would come back and I would drop off this group of homeless people at this intersection. And I would notice there would be 60, 70, 80 other people who were sitting out there who didn't come. And one day I'm driving away from this intersection and as clear as it could be, God said, the great commission is go. You keep asking him to come. Why are you not going? God got a hold of me. I turned the truck around and I went back and I said, you know you're always welcome to come. But by any chance, would you all be interested in us starting a church right here in the tunnels? And they said, yes. They said, the reason we don't go is because we know we stink. We know that we don't fit in. We know that, and we don't want you to feel bad, so we don't come when we want to come. They said, but if you would come here, we would love it. So you know what we did? 
Every single Sunday, I'd finish the one service and we would go down and we would take people and we started another church for homeless people in the tunnels under Las Vegas. And we kept going down and loving people. You, I can't, I don't have time to tell you, but there's some stuff that happened in those services. I'm gonna tell you, you ain't never seen in your life. I kid you not, one service, a man threw his shoes at me. He threw his shoes. I made the comment. I was like, sometimes you don't know what somebody's going through until you walk a mile in their shoes. And all of a sudden, a pair of shoes came hurling at me. And he said, that's a size 11. Those should fit you. Listen, there was all sorts of stuff going on down there. But the issue is, will we go where people are at? It's not the gospel has lost its power. The issue is we don't care enough about people to go. When we start loving people like Jesus loved, we start starting churches in places nobody else wants to start churches. We start churches in trailer parks. We start churches in hard areas of town. We start churches in the projects. We start churches that nobody wants to get to. And by the way, the great news is when all the other churches didn't want them in their church to begin with, Jesus still wants them in his. We have to be about reaching people where they are. Here's the final part of that. New churches are often an evangelistic feeder into established churches in the community. Since new churches are better equipped to reach unchurched people, they tend to see more people saved proportionately. But what you'll find is new churches don't have the amenities of older churches. So sometimes when people are looking for a stronger student ministry because they got teenagers or they're looking for a different type of ministry that's not offered, they go back into more established churches. New churches help strengthen established churches. So here's just a couple stats as we close. In 1820, there was one church for every 875 U.S. residents. One church for every 875 residents. From 1860 to 1906, Protestant churches planted, effectively planted churches to the point that ratio went from one church for every 875 to one church for every 430 people. More churches we're able to reach more people. Now, sometimes we say, man, nobody wants to go to church. Times are bad. We often need to go back and read history. In 1776, only 17% of US residents were associated with a church. By 1916, 53% of US residents we're connected with a church. Today, the national average of churches to U.S. residents is one church for every 957 residents. Now, if you think about those numbers, it actually is a little bit more stark and dramatic than, than it seems from the surface. Because that would be people of any denomination that would be people that are in strong denominations and strong churches. That would be weak denominations, some that don't even teach the gospel. So when you begin to break those numbers down into our major cities, 
Right now in New York City, there is one church for every 4,235 people. One church. Again, from any denomination. Do you know one of the most unchurched cities in America? Is Salt Lake City, Utah. If you talk about churches by denomination, in Salt Lake City, there is one Southern Baptist church for every 40,460 people. You see, sometimes when you're in the Bible Belt, you can throw a rock and you can hit 15 churches all around you. You think that's the way it is everywhere around the country, and that's not the case. Lord willing, you've heard me tonight make a case for the fact that churches have to be intentional about making disciples and about multiplying churches so that we can be about kingdom expansion. As many of you know, we've just started our Sherwood Residency Program. And in this program, there's gonna be anywhere from three to four church planting families who are going to spend between six months or one year with us right here at Sherwood. And our goal during this time, what we're focused on doing, is we're wanting to train and to love on and to encourage these individuals before they go out to plant churches in other cities around the US. This is a kingdom endeavor. The reason I say that is because we will be investing in cities and in churches that we may never have an opportunity to visit. We're gonna be investing in future believers that we may never meet on this side of eternity. We're going to be investing in generations that we may never see. But here's the thing, how do we cultivate the right environment for that to happen here at Sherwood? First piece, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for those who are coming in. Pray for the churches that they will plant. Pray that this season of their life is going to be spiritually beneficial. Pray, think kingdom. Be serious about discipleship. Give generously. Be willing to go on short-term mission trips if God leads. Be willing, watch this, be willing if God taps you on the shoulder and says, I want you to move to Nashville. I want you to move to New York. I want you to move to Seattle. I want you to move to one of these other cities and to be about the kingdom and invest your life there. If God's calling you to go, he has grace to cover you while you're there. And if he's calling you to go, when you stay here, you're gonna be miserable. When God brings these church planting families into Sherwood, love them well. Many will be leaving their families to go to the place they're planting a church. They will leave their friends behind. They will leave the culture they understand They will leave the relationships they know best. They will leave their church community because the call of God is go to another city and start a church there. They're going to be spiritually attacked every step of the way because the enemy does not surrender ground. He will fight you for every square foot. 
They are going to battle doubt, depression, anxiety, fear of failure, loneliness, lack of security, struggles with identity. They're going to wrestle through every bit of that. For some of these young men, when they show up in Sherwood for this program, they might have preached two, three, or four times before ever coming here. And guess what? A part of their training is, I'm gonna give them an opportunity to preach here on a Sunday night. I want you to hear me. That is not a call to stay home. And I, I, I don't wanna be ugly, but sometimes people say, well, the pastor's not preaching tonight, I'm just gonna stay home. But listen, how can we complain about another generation not being reached if we don't give the next generation of preachers an opportunity to preach? They need time to prepare. And by the way, when you come on those nights, show up early, show prayed up, have your Bible open, have a smile on your face, and when they preach the word, amen them, amen them. There's gonna be moments they say something's gonna sound ridiculous, have grace. Do you know why? Because on Monday, they're gonna be sitting down with myself and several other pastors, and they will be critiqued about everything in that message. They need to leave this service encouraged. If they walk away defeated from day one, they don't want to follow the call of God. They need opportunity to communicate. So when those nights come, tell them, I'm so excited you get a chance to preach tonight. I'm praying for you. I'm gonna be here tonight. Amen. We need to support them. Amen. For the expansion of God's kingdom, churches must be intentionally multiplying disciples, multiplying churches in an effort to reach all people in all places. So, the irony is not lost on me that after hearing that, we're about to welcome some new families into membership. <laughs> right after me talking about, we're going to encourage some people, if they're led of the Spirit of God, to go and to plant churches. But hey, I think that's biblical. I do. I, I believe with all of my heart, there's going to be people God brings in, and when that happens, when we're training them, there's going to be people that God calls to go. So I'm going to ask if those families, if they would go ahead and begin to make their way over to the, the wall, they're going to be getting lined up over here behind Pastor John. And as they do, I got a story to share with you all that hopefully will make sense as to why we're not only welcoming members, but we're also encouraging people to go as God leads. When life was running about 500 people, we felt led and impressed of God that we needed to start another campus on the north side of town that was going to be about 50 minutes away. And we prayed about it. We spent time just saying, God, is this what you're calling us to do? And remember, we're running about 500 on a Sunday morning. And we cast vision for that. And get this, 92 people over the next several weeks said, we're willing to go. By the way, when almost a fifth of your church says, I'm willing to go, that's when you start praying like, Lord, why are you vexing me with this? You, you start praying like David prayed back over in the Old Testament. Like you're wondering like, God, are you gonna leave anybody over here? But here's what happened. We found 
that inside of two weeks of those people leaving, God filled every one of the seats with somebody new. You know what that taught us? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we're going to have prayer. We're going to invite some new members of the family. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this night. Thank you for this group that is coming in membership. And Lord, we ask this evening that you would allow us to celebrate well and remember the mission that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.